Now, today we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you can find that book in the Bible, you've got it because it's on the first verse of the first chapter that we're going to speak today on getting back to the basics. Now, I realize that a lot of people come to church on Easter and uh, they uh, feel like, well, you know, I've heard about the resurrection now and I'll come back next year and hear about it again. But here's Sagemont, we don't preach on the resurrection just on Easter. We don't teach the resurrection just on Easter. We want to stick with the basics. The thing that makes us different as Christians is that Jesus is alive. I asked a, a Muslim man in another state this week uh, what his faith was, and he told me he was a Muslim. And uh, I said, well, is Muhammad still alive? He said, I don't know. Well, you need to know, Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, he's who he said he was. And because he's who he said he was, he'll do what he said he'd do. And what he said he would do is he'd take us just like we are and make us what we ought to be. But we got to come to him. We've got to let go of the things of this world and turn to him and confess the fact that we don't have all the answers. Confess the facts that there's things that we are doing or have done that we're ashamed of. And that we want our life to count for something for the rest of our years. Now, the book of Acts is an incredible book. It, I've read the book of Acts several times a year. It is the book that takes us all the way through what happened with the coming of Jesus and what is going on now and what the future holds. And when you begin to read through this book, which is not that difficult to read, even if you say, I'm not a Bible student, I don't know a lot about the Bible. Well, if you will read this book, you will see you don't have to be a scholar you just have to be an inquirer. And when you understand that the Holy Spirit wrote this book and the Holy Spirit will interpret this book to the one that is seeking to know truth. And this, this scriptures say that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I want to begin with the first verse. I'm going to read to you four verses at this point in the message, and I want to introduce what I want us to learn about the basics of being a follower of Jesus Christ. So from the gospel or the book of Acts, I want to read from verse 1. <clears throat> the former treatises have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto his apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, 
you have heard of me. Now let me very quickly tell you that Luke wanted Theophilus to understand what it means to be a Christian. Now let me tell you something. Any one of us that wants or chooses to be a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus does not want to withhold, the Holy Spirit does not want to withhold, the Father does not want to withhold anything that keeps us from knowing who he is. There's not a part of his life that he does not want to be known. (coughs) There is nothing back there that he is ashamed of. He is king of kings, and he is Lord of lords. Now, Theophilus, as most Bible historians say, was a new believer. He was a Gentile, and he was brand new in the Christian faith. But he wanted to know about the Christian faith. He wanted to know more. You see, if you hunger after righteousness, you can be filled. If you want to know the truth of God's Word, you can know the truth of God's Word, and it will set you free. But there has to be, within the inquirer, the seeker, the new believer, a desire to want to know truth. You don't read the Bible looking for it to confirm your lifestyle. You look at the Bible to see what you ought to be and how you can be what you ought to be and what will happen if you become what he wants you to be. The book is named Acts. Now, there's a reason for that, because these are literally the acts of the first century church. This is the beginning things they did. This book tells us how they came as they were, and they became what God wanted them to be. So there's action in this book. There is a moving through this book. This book was written A.D. 33 to A.D. 63. Jesus had come. He had died on the cross. And now we're moving into the next 30 years. In these 30 years, what had happened in the past, all from the birth to the death to the resurrection of Jesus Christ had taken place. And now he says and sets aside, I want the people that follow me, to be endued with power and that the Holy Spirit would come upon them so they could be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, the city, Judea, and the uttermost part of the world. And so he lays this out in a form that any serious seeker can learn the truth. There was a very humble beginning to the Christian faith. The little baby, the days as the child grew up, and those 33 years were filled with all kinds of emotion. But when you read this book, here's the way it will break out. The first seven seven chapters have to do with the city, Jerusalem. The eighth chapter to the eleventh chapter has to do with Judea and Samaria the states, so to speak, in the United States, if we were to look at it. And then from the 12th chapter of Acts to the 28th chapter, it's the uttermost part of the world. Now, here's what we must learn by that. It starts where we are. 
and then it moves to where it needs to go. There has to be a beginning. The scripture will say that if a person is an unbeliever, they have to be born again. When they're born again, old things pass away, all things become new, everything that was important in the past is no longer important, and new things take preeminence, and your life begins to change. Where you used to stumble in darkness, you now walk in the light. Where you used to not have a clue what was going on in your life, you realize for the first time, God has a plan for my life. You know something? When you start following the Lord, you're going to find out you excel in a whole lot of stuff. I'm talking to a lot of folks, both here and through the media, that you believe that you are an absolute failure, have been, are now, and will always be. That you will always be a follower trying to work your way into any group that'll take you. And anybody that'll give you some attention, you will get in their group and try to be one of them and wave their flag and do whatever they do. That's not true. You matter to God. You're special to God. You are one of a kind. There's nobody like you. Why do you want to be like everyone else when God says, I want to make you you. And I want to use you in my overall plan that begins now and will last and you will enjoy throughout all of eternity. Now, also in the book of Acts, you see the people groups. Now, first were the Jews. The Jews in Acts chapter 2. And then there were the Samaritans, Judea, Samaria. Then there were the first Gentile Christians, which was Cornelius in the book. And then in Acts 11 through 28, we start walking through the missionary journeys that the executioner Paul, who executed Christians, became a believer, and his life was used to change humanity from that time until now. As he wrote under the inspiration of Scripture, many, many, many books of the New Testament. Now, if you want to know what a church is, now listen to me carefully. There are many that are hearing my voice right now. You have no clue what a church is. That's not to put you down. It's just an absolute fact. The church is not what it advertises itself to be. The church is the bride of Christ. The church represents in this world him. It is not a social gathering. It is not a place to meet new friends. It is not a place to improve your intelligence. It is a place that we gather together and bring all of our backgrounds. We bring all of our sins to the cross. We're washed in the blood. We are equipped then by the Father for the work of the ministry. That does not mean we're all going to be preachers. But it does mean we all have a ministry. Do you understand that you are the only person, if, if this other person ever hears about Jesus, it's going to be because you told them? Because that was your assignment. And if they die and don't know the Lord and never heard about him, and you were responsible because you knew them, but you were too embarrassed. You felt too weak. You did not want to be called a fanatic. And so you just chose to just let them go on in their darkness rather than to reach out and bring them safely home. We've all driven the streets of the big cities. People have accidents. 
They're beside the road. They're out on the highway. I wonder how many times we stop and render aid. Or if we don't say triple A's behind us somewhere. The police will be here soon. And I'm busy. I've got an appointment. I've got something else to do. We could get in all kinds of Bible stories like the Good Samaritan and that one. But here's the point. God has a plan for our individual lives. He gives to each of us at least one spiritual gift. Some have more than one spiritual gift, but at least one. When all of those gifts come together, you have a church. And when all of us come together, we can do things that other people individually could never do. Everybody matters. I matter and you matter. And this book, Acts, mirrors the church. Let me tell you what you're going to read when you go through there. You're going to read about deacons. You're going to read about elders. You're going to read about pastors. You're going to be, uh, learn about missionaries and associates. You're going to learn about planting churches. You're going to learn about meetings, maybe too much about meetings, about praying, about serving, about giving, about evangelizing, and gathering together on Sunday morning. And what you're to do when you gather together. Now, that's the book. Very practical. Many of you come to church, and you don't have a clue why you're here. You really don't. Except it was Sunday, and maybe, maybe the things hadn't been going too good this week, and you thought, you know, I'll just have a little Brill, Brill Cream religion. There used to be a, what was called Brill Cream, and their slogan was a little dab do you Well, that's the way a lot of people are about church, a little dab do you A lot of folks got their dabbing on Easter. They won't need another dab till next Easter. But here's the truth. The truth is that we start where we are, but it isn't over till it's over. Jesus is coming back to this earth again. And by the way, just because you have forgotten about God, he has not forgotten about you. See, you've pushed him aside. He hasn't pushed you aside. You're ignoring him, but he doesn't ignore you. He doesn't ignore you because he knows somebody, and for most all of you, many people are waiting to hear and see Jesus But because you, who claim to be a Christian, are unwilling to have the power of God flow through you to bring other people to him. Now, in the book of Acts, not only you hear about a church, you're going to read about the Father, about the Son, and about the Holy Spirit. It all comes together in this book. And let me tell you another thing you're going to find out about it. You're going to find out that the church, as Jesus established it, is going to have a tough time. And that the church is going to go through great persecution. That the church will one day be on the mountain and the next day is down in the valley. You're going to learn that the Satan is out to destroy the body of Christ. And he does it one member at a time, one family at a time one marriage at a time, and he tears it up, hoping eventually the power will leave the church. It's not going to leave the church because the power of the church is in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
The power doesn't leave, but the people leave. Those that are given the responsibility to spread that message began to, and we have a word for it, of course, backslide. Backslide. A lot of people don't backslide. They just go jump off the bluff. One weekend, away they go. Just cannot handle the fact that God is who he said he is. We're going to be persecuted, but we're not going to become extinct. We're going to be wounded, but when, we, when the trumpet sounds, we're going to be healed. We are going to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be in the Lord. Now listen to me. The rise and fall of the church will be determined by our love for God and our love for people. A lot of churches love God and don't love people. People get on their nerves. I mean, some people get so spiritual, it's pathetic. They're out there in the clouds somewhere, and they're in the sweet by and by all the time and not realizing, but you're living in the nasty now now. And right now, we're in a battlefield. Right now, we are having all kinds of problems as Satan rears his ugly head. God wants us to love people. God wants us to love him. And God wants us to love the scriptures. And know that they're the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. He has made it possible for any one of you to start growing in your new walk with God. You may call Job Job, Psalms Palms, but you know what? The Lord does not care. He's not going to grade you for a doctor's degree. He wants to love you as his children. And when you fall, he wants to pick you up. And when you feel lonely, he wants to be right there with you. When you're staggering around in darkness, he wants to turn on the light. When you don't have what it takes to meet your need, he wants to meet your need. <clears throat> and this book is the premier book of the Bible to teach us how to do that. And you know what? The more you love God, the more you'll love this, this book. You hear me? The more you love God, the more you're going to love this book. This book is going to be something that's more important than the Wall Street Journal. It's more than the late night news or the midday news or the early morning news. This book is more important as what Dow Jones is doing. You want to know what is Jesus Christ doing in my generation? What is his plan? What is his purpose for my life? And when you love God, and when you love the word, you know something else you're going to love? The word that we use is evangelism. You are going to want to see people come to know Jesus as their Savior. I met this week with 50 or 60 of the pastors of the largest churches in America. Two or three of them mentioned the fact that they rarely give an invitation when they preach. 
I couldn't believe it. I mean, what are we doing? Well, we're just teaching everybody. Teaching them what? God wants the church to be the strongest evangelistic arm of the whole body of Christ. It's a shame for people to come to a church on a Sunday morning, any Sunday morning, not just Easter Sunday morning, and not hear the gospel, the good news that God loves you. God's got a plan. God wants you in his family. And he wants you to walk with him. You know, when you get saved, when you get born again, when your life changes, young people start acting different at school. Working people start acting different on the job. Neighbors start acting different in the neighborhood. People start acting different in the grocery store. And some people even let you get on the freeway. At 4.30 in Houston. (laughs) And all of this is working together for God's glory and for our good. If we love the Lord. (coughs) We can attract people to the Lord with our voices. But we'll attract much more with our lives. When people see a Christian... And understand they're not a bunch of losers. But rather they're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And that their wisdom is the wisdom of God rather than the logic of men. And they begin to move through life knowing God is who he said he is. The way, I want to say it again, that people can know that you love God is that you love them. If you don't love them, you're not being what God wants you to be. For God so loved the world. That's everybody. Even those that you can't stand. People come to church sometimes and look around and see somebody they don't like and make sure they go to the other side of the building. That's church. Now, they go to the ball game, they don't pay attention to that because everybody's just looking up, you know, and going out the concession stand, looking up and jumping up and down. But God wants us to take him to the world. You know what? Here's something I've learned. And you do learn something when you get older. You really do. But... If you have something that's real in your life, it's real. Other people are going to want it. If it's real and it's good, there's people going to want it. If there's something that sets you free, people in bondage are going to want to know it. If there's, if there's some way, somehow, one day you learned that there were things more important than the things of the flesh. When they see that in your life and they see that you are happier than they are, and you are walking in the victory, they want what you have. But when you are the opposite, which many church members are, they don't want anything that you have. You're sounding brass and you're a tinkling cymbal. 
But when God comes in, he changes things. Acts 1-3 presents the foundation of the Christian faith. Let me read it to you. To whom also, excuse me, he he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Christianity is based on a myriad of evidence and proof that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Listen, listen. It's okay to be a doubter. It's okay to be a skeptic. If, if you're willing to look at truth. Now, if you are such a skeptic that you won't look for truth, that's stubbornness. And, and when you have just found partial material rather than the whole story, you're going to miss out on everything. So it's okay if you doubt the resurrection. But let me give you some, some facts, okay? Fact number one, when Jesus rose from the grave, everybody in the city of Jerusalem could go out to the grave and see if he was in it or not. The whole city. It wasn't just for the Christian, not for this, those that tithed on the gross. It wasn't those that read their Bible every day. Anybody could go see. He wasn't there. He was risen. Let me tell you something else. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of prophecies of the Old Testament have been fulfilled to the minutest detail in the New Testament. That's the evidence fact. It's evidence fact. Thirdly, hundreds of witnesses. The Bible says on one day, 500 at one time. 500 verified the fact of the resurrection. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He said, I told you what I knew. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brothers at once, of whom the greater part remain until the present day. But some have fallen asleep, some have died. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, listen, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Paul said to the church at Corinth, all of this is the evidence. But now if you knew me, Paul, you know I was an executioner of Christians. But I am a witness. He's alive. Now, folks, that's pretty strong stuff. It's one thing for a preacher to say it. It's another thing for an executioner to say it. Jesus changed my life. He changed my life. Would you agree with me? You know, hallucinations don't happen to 500 people, okay? You say, they were just hallucinating. They were hallucinating. 500 of them? 
Well, it could happen. I don't even think it even happened. And especially if someone was still alive, they could call your hand on that kind of thing. But the living evidence is the living evidence that God changes lives is represented right here, right now. I'm going to do something I've never done in my life from the pulpit, but I'm going to do it right now. And I've asked these cameras to be turned for the television people to watch this all over the world. If you are sitting in this auditorium right now, and you would say, one day, I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life. Before that day, I was in bondage. I was in sin. I was in darkness. I was angry. Better put whatever you want to. But one day, Jesus Christ saved my life. I want you either to stand up or raise your hand as a witness to the fact that Jesus Christ changed your life. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? We didn't get together on this. If we had every one of us give their testimony, it'd be one, 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 and there would be no testimonies alike. But one day, I was seven years old. Some of you say, I was 70 years old. But that day, Jesus changed my life. You may be seated. You are the evidence. You're the living proof of the loving God to the watching world. That's what we're here to do. Now, it's not good to say, well, I stood up on Sunday, so I don't have to do that anymore, thank God. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. If you go, if you go out to eat today, you've got to give a generous tip and tell the waiter, God loves you, and I do too, and God will meet your need. That's who we are. That's who Jesus was. He touched us, and he changed our life. I wish I had time, but I don't. For every one of you to tell us how it happened. If, if you hadn't written it down, write it down. And tell somebody, after I'm gone, open this envelope. Better yet, tell them to read it, then seal it, and then make sure it's open. Okay? Tell your story. Let the, let, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Yes. Let them say so. The question is, what has Jesus done for you? I tell you what he's done for a lot, maybe all of us. He's brought, he brought, brought us hope. He's given us a vision. He has, he's given us a peace that passes all understanding. He has met our needs. He has walked with us through the valley and through the mountaintop. He was there when we celebrated the touchdown, and he was there when we fumbled the ball. And he never changed his love for us. But his prayer was, I hope when you fumbled the ball that you understand. If you pick it back up, I'll teach you how to carry it until I come again. Jesus was and is unstoppable. The grave had no victory. The Roman army had no power. His skeptics died and went into eternity without God. But Jesus rose from the grave. He is alive. He is alive. And if Jesus could conquer death, nothing else has power over him. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In verse 4 in Acts chapter 1, 
<clears throat> excuse me, yes, in chapter 1, verse 4, listen to this. And let me read it again to you. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel to Israel? He said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up into a cloud that received him out of their sight. That's what happened. Jesus rose 40 days, walked around people, would hand his, could, could put his hand out to Thomas. He could speak to anyone that came around him. But then, in the timing of the Father, he ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father. He is there today, waiting, watching, looking. As churches meet all over the world, and people are gathering that are hearing the gospel all over the world. The Father watches out of heaven. What's he going to do? What's she going to do? What are they going to do? What's this family going to do? What are you going to do? If you do not know him, what are you going to do? Well, I'll just take my chances. Are you sure you want to do that? The, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all. That's all. That means you, without Jesus... Have no hope. But with Jesus, you have no doubts. One day, you'll be with him. Apart from God's power, we can do nothing. But with God's power, we can do anything. I'm not going to ask you to stand for this one, but if I asked you to stand, if you'd say, I'll tell you what, I'm an absolute miracle. I mean, you, you, would, you would just, your mouth would fall open if you heard my life story. I mean, some of you could tell that story. I'm not going to ask you to do it. But I want you to know that it takes just as much blood to save a preacher's kid as it does to save a convict. But the one drop of blood will give you a brand new life. And you don't have to put it on MasterCard. You don't have to pay state tax, city tax, county tax, or income tax. It is free. Absolutely free. And you don't have to insure it. It is insured by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His word will not return void. You have a verbal commitment of the one who is truth. That this is the truth. Jesus' blood paid for your sin. And by the way, he doesn't look to see what the sign says out in front of the building. Forget this denomination stuff. We're either saved or lost. We're either going towards heaven or we're going towards hell. And God loves both groups. But he wants the group going this way to repent. Which means turn around and come and go with me. Because we're bound for the promised land. Acts 1.8. If you're kind of weak at this point in this message. Listen to this. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be a witness unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea. 
and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You see, the church, if it's what it ought to be, it will first reach its Jerusalem. For us, it's Houston. But by the same token, the church will take the gospel to the uttermost part of the world. To the uttermost part of the world. That's what we do here. 30.4% of our budget last year went to missions. 30.4%. If you want to know the heart of a church, ask them for a copy of their budget. We've tried to put one in the pews for our guests. Because that is what a church is supposed to do. We're not to be complimented, but we're to be thankful that we had a part in that. None of us can imagine, can, none of us can imagine what would happen if everyone in this auditorium right now that couldn't stand a while ago or couldn't raise your hand would come to know Jesus today as your Savior. You never know, you never know what God has planned for you until you start following him. That's when you change your itinerary. That's when you change your priorities. That's when you get your focus, when you follow him. And then see your life impact so many or maybe one person who might say to you, after they prayed and say, Dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and save me. Look at you and say, If it wouldn't been for you, I would have probably died in my sin. Thank you for telling me about Jesus, where I could understand it. That's what we're talking about today. I cannot imagine if the lost people in this auditorium and those watching by television or listening by radio or watching on the internet were to be born again today all over the world I can't imagine what would happen and what if it happened where all churches where the gospel is being preached today that everyone under the sound of the last 24 hours heard the gospel of Jesus Christ maybe they've heard it many times and rejected it or maybe here today for the first time but if every one of those people would say I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior what would happen to Houston, America, the United States, and the uttermost part of the world. It would be catastrophic. It would be catastrophic. You know what? I'm always hearing people, and you do too, man, we got to change. We got to change. You know, what can we do to change the world? This world is in a mess. You know why this world's in a mess? Because some of us are in a mess. And, and quite frankly, you're not going to change the world. Jesus is. But you know what your job is? Change you. And you've pretty much proven you're a handful. Okay? But that doesn't impress the Lord. He loves you anyway. And by the way, he does have a sense of humor. All right? A lot of us just think that we're a lot more important than we are, that we're a lot more stubborn than we really are. And today, that could change so here's God's word again for us today you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth I'm going to tell you something most of you don't even know members of Sagemont when we built this building 
Tobus Moeller, who painted the big mural out front, at my request, put at every door, Jerusalem, Houston, Judea, Texas, Samaria, United States, and the tomb and the resurrection are the uttermost part of the world. Those murals hang over your head when you walk in here every day, looking at the floor. God wants Sagemont, number one, to impact Houston. Number two, Texas. Number three, the United States. And number four, the uttermost part of the earth. That's our assignment. Now, we have done that, and Cobus did this, to remind us. If you'll go out and you will look at those murals, you'll see some, something you'll recognize in Houston or Texas or Disney World for the USA, and you will see the comparison with the names, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. And 2 Chronicles 7, 14 said, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. You think America needs healing? You bet it does. How's it going to be healed? Well, we just got to get another president. No, we need to get another God. And his name should be Jesus. 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 And when America turns to Jesus, America can change the world for good. But without Jesus, we're no different than any other part of the world, except we're more blessed than any other part of the world. And this nation is filled with lost people that would spit in Jesus' face, and every good and every perfect gift they ever had or received came down from the Father of love. If you love your children, thank God. Don't thank your grandparents. Thank God. He made them. He made them. God loves you. God loves your family. Fellow church members, I have a question. Here's a, it's a serious question. Is God finished with us at Sagemont? Is God finished with you on earth? I don't think so. I don't think so. <coughs> I don't think it's over till the trumpet blows. But the question is, what are we going to do about it? Well, I plan to come every time I can when I'm not providentially hindered. I think the Baptists invented that phrase. Well, I went at church Sunday. I was providentially hindered. But you know what? Whenever we come to that point in our life when we just let go and let God... And when revival comes in America, we can change the world. It's stronger than any rockets or any bombs or any war. If we can knock the power of darkness out of America and bring light to America, we can knock darkness out of the world and Jesus can become the light of the world. But God's people, which are called by God's name, must humble themselves and pray, see God's face, turn from their wicked ways, not the sins of the world, their ways. And then we'll hear from heaven, and God will forgive us and heal our land. Won't that be great if that would happen? By the way, if you don't know what a trumpet sounds like, find somebody that has one and let them blow it for you so you'll recognize it when the trumpet does blow because <laughs> that'll be the first indication it's over. It is over. Jesus is coming. It is finished. The cross is in the past. 
the res open tomb is in the past. Jesus has ascended to heaven. And when the trumpet blows, Jesus is on his way here. And every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How about you? How about you? I talked to one the other day. A widow lady lives in a kind of a cul-de-sac, a circle drive, and a Muslim family moved into their community. Now, when you take a little group, you know, it's kind of easy for the rumors to go neighbor to neighbor to neighbor. But the first thing that this person did was have a party at her house, invited all the neighbors in a circle to come meet the new family that came in. And in that gathering, which was just after Christmas, she just simply told the whole group the meaning of Christmas and had a sign right by her side where those that watched her as she spoke said, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Is that true when they come into our homes? Is he there? Our office, our church, our city. If Jesus is here, we have hope. If he has been run out of Houston, and he hasn't been. If he's been kicked out of America, and he hasn't been. If he is here, and there's still a church that will preach the gospel, and where people will love people, regardless, red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in God's sight. And I can stand and look my fellow pastors and the whole world in the face after 52 years being your pastor and tell you not one time has I got a note, a call, a stop me in the hallway, a meet me in the restaurant, and criticize people that didn't look like them. We are a universal, love the world, just like God does, and everyone is welcome here, but Jesus is Lord. This scripture is the inspired and inerrant and infallible word of God. This is what sets us free, is the story here and the person that it tells us about. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells me so.